Welcome to VS Voices. I'm Amanda Decadene. This week's episode of VS Voices is with Naomi Osaka, who is a VS Collective member and also the number one female tennis champion in the world. Naomi is truly an inspiration to me, and I don't use that word lightly. In this conversation, we talk about how when she was growing up, no one ever thought Naomi would make it as a tennis player, what it felt like to take time off from her tennis career for the very first time in her life, and the importance of practicing self-care. I hope you enjoy this one. Hey, Naomi. How are you doing? We haven't spoken in a couple of months. I'm doing good. I'm just starting to train again now, so... That's always an event. Did you get a few months off? Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure how long it was. Maybe like two months, but um, that's great. Yeah, I just did a lot of like nothing, <laughs> which is actually kind of nice. Oh, yeah, that's awesome, isn't it? Just to be able to just be and just not have to do anything or be anywhere and just reconnect to your own natural rhythm. Yeah. You just had a birthday, right? Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, it was October 16th. Yeah. Libra. Yeah. I know more about you now. I know that you're a Libra. <laughs> so you turn 24. And for me, birthdays are always a time of reflection. When you reflect on the last year of your life, what would you say are some of the most significant moments? Um, for me, I would say the most significant moments my 23rd year um probably I took a couple breaks this year but I feel like within those breaks I was able to really figure out what I wanted to do for myself um and also just slow down and realize all of the things that I appreciate and all of the things that I'm really fortunate for and um, spend a lot of time with my friends which um, since you know the tennis tour is pretty long we don't really have time to um, spend time with friends or family so it was quite nice to be able to do all those things yeah that sounds really valuable to be able to give yourself that um, you wrote towards the end of the summer that you wanted to celebrate yourself and your accomplishments more and appreciate what your contribution to the world is and appreciate yourself. And I wondered how it's going for you um, now that you took those breaks and that you're, you're able to kind of have some perspective on what's important for you. Yeah, I would say for me, <laughs> it's still a learning process. Like I, I feel like I'm a student in class, um, but I feel like, all my life, I've kind of been chasing like a trophy or, you know, a certain goal. And I've never stopped to look at all the things that I've been able to go through in life. Like, even if it's a loss or a win, I feel like everything is sort of an accomplishment because it makes you who you are as a person. So just to be able to appreciate that more and know that for me, um, just being in this position is something that is really amazing. Um, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be where I was now. And sometimes I feel like I forget that. And it's important to just keep reminding myself of things like that. Would you say that you were very um, judgmental of yourself prior to having this <laughs> perspective and almost kind of like a perfectionist? 
Um, yeah, I would definitely say I'm probably the hardest on myself, which is why I kind of laugh when I see like um, other people saying things about me, because I honestly think that I've said the worst things about myself, so it doesn't really bother me. But um, yeah, definitely I'm super judgmental, um, a big perfectionist, though. I feel like if I'm aware of that, I can try to change it. So it's something that I've been working on. How's that going? Um, it's it's going pretty well, I would say. Like um, for me, I feel like as long as I every day take a step towards, you know, a step, a step of progress or maybe something like that. Um, just being aware of it and constantly telling myself you can't expect to be a robot. You know, you're a human. So. It's okay to make mistakes, just um, learn from those mistakes, I would say. Yeah, and accepting our humanness, accepting that we're human and not having that voice of needing to be perfect, which I also have the perfectionist bug. (laughs) Um, And I know for me, it, it started in my childhood. And so I was wondering for you, where did you learn that voice of having to be exceptional and perfect and always on point? I would say it was from when I was a kid. I I think it was honestly something that was almost praised because when I was a kid, people didn't really think that I was going to be good. So I always felt like I had to prove people wrong. And I guess that just carried on into my adult life. Um, I I would say I definitely realized it pretty young and I wasn't sure if it was going to be a good thing or a bad thing. But was that something that you did to yourself or was it because of your own drive to succeed? I mean, you are arguably the best female tennis player in the world at the moment. And in order to get there, you have to have a perspective of nothing's going to stop me. So in a way, that perfectionist voice kind of must have served you for a while, right? Um, It's definitely helped me in very crucial moments of my life. So um, I would say there was definitely a, a purpose for why I had that mindset. And definitely when I was younger, um, just growing up trying to be the best player um, that I could be, um, it was definitely a really big motivating push that I needed. One of the moments that resonated with me in your Netflix series was when you were having dinner with your mom and you turned to her and you ask if you've accomplished an acceptable amount of things for your age. And she replies in Japanese, so I don't know what she says, but you reply, that's just what I do, mom. I'm your daughter. (laughs) And I was wondering what you meant by that. Yeah. um, Because... First of all, what was her response? Oh, her her response, she said that you've done more than enough, you know. And for me, like, it's kind of funny because I feel like I put this pressure on myself that other people expect a lot from me. So it it's relieving to hear that, you know, that I've I've done well and stuff like that. And just to know, like, my parents were proud of me. But um, when I said that um, I'm your daughter, it's because I, I feel like my mom is also a perfectionist. Like, she loves to get things done well. And um, I think that's a part of the, her personality that I took on as my own. Um, so, yeah, it was just like a, a, a little banter. <laughs> Yeah, because one of the other things that struck me was that you said that when you were a little girl, you remember that you just wanted your mom to be happy because she worked a lot and that she would work overtime and sleep in her car. 
And for you, you wanted her to be able to stop working. And I'm sure part of your drive to succeed was so that you could provide for her. So how does that feel that you can actually do that at this point? Um, yeah, it was probably my biggest lift goal at the time. So actually, when I was able to accomplish that, I felt really happy and really proud because I knew that this is something that or a dream that I've had since I was little. But at the same time, it was a bit weird because I had to shift to another goal. And that mm. was um, that was quite hard for me for a while. But I think once I got it, it, it became a bit easier. Yeah, that's a quite a common thing that I've heard and experienced myself on some level that when you start to achieve your dreams young, you have to find new dreams. Yeah. And sometimes that doesn't come as easily as we hope it might do. Yeah, I would say definitely. I feel for me, everything came quite fast. And you don't, you actually achieve multiple dreams at one time sometimes. So it's like you're checking off a checklist that you didn't even know it was a checklist, if that makes sense. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it, I find it like you have to like write down new things that motivate you every day. What are some of those new things for you? For me, um, I feel like I'm just happy to be back playing tennis, which is something that I'm really proud of because... Um, there was a while that while I was playing that I felt like a little bit sad because I, I'm not sure if it was because of COVID and I wasn't able to see fans or anything, but it almost felt kind of empty. Mm. But um, I think now I'm just really excited to go back on tour and like see all the fans and um, able to, I guess, travel a bit more because the restrictions aren't that bad. Yeah, I wonder if not being able to play tennis also disconnected you from something that you've done your whole life. That was probably the first time in your life, right, since you've been a little girl that you haven't been playing. Yeah, I would say even. that's definitely the longest break that I've ever had. And it actually made me really nervous to come back because I wasn't sure. You know, in the back of your head, you're always like, mm, am I going to be good again? I'm not so sure. But it, it's nice to, like, take that chance. Yeah, that must be scary to go into something that you have done like second nature, but having taken some time away from it, you then have to come back into it. And especially as you took time out, like you said, for yourself to explore other aspects of yourself and then what is your relationship to what you do with new insight? Yeah, I would say it took some time to adjust to like the the feeling of, you know, being away from the game, but also worrying that, you know, should I start playing again now? Or is it too soon? Is it too late? Um, those thoughts kind of cross my my head a lot. But I feel like in the end, when you're ready, you'll let yourself know. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes complete sense. I remember the first time I ever heard of you and it was when you were playing against Coco in 2015, I believe, and you won the game and you asked her to be a part of the interviews at the end. And I was struck by the generosity and the empathy that you had for her. And I thought, what a compassionate human being to have empathy for another young woman and to know what it's like to 
lose and to have a lot of feelings about it. What do you remember the most about that experience? I'd say what I remember the most about that moment was just how thankful she was. And for me, I thought to myself that she didn't need to be thankful because um, for a tennis match, people come to see both players. And I, I felt for her, like she's so young and she's um, so popular already. So I just thought it would be nice to like address the crowd instead of going into the press room and only talking to them. I felt like for you to be able to talk to your fans one-on-one is a gift. And um, sometimes they only give the winners that gift. But I, I felt to me on that night, she was also a winner because she accomplished so much. So, Yeah, gosh. It was really powerful. I mean, and often in a culture where women are set up to compete against one another, it was such a great alternative, you know, to that narrative. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, I don't think that's yeah. something you should thank me for. But Well, it, it impacted me, certainly, you know, because we don't see that a lot. We don't see generosity in that way. I'm very grateful for it. It kind of restores my faith in in humans at times, you know. Also, um, I remember in 2018 when you played against Serena Williams in the U.S. Open. And I remember the discussion around Serena being too aggressive with the umpire. And I thought that must have been a very complex win for you, was it? Um, I would say in the moment, it didn't feel that complicated. Uh, I would say like the aftermath of everything was to a much bigger scale than I could have anticipated because that was also my first Grand Slam win. So I wouldn't have even known what um, I would say the aftermath of a regular Slam win was, let alone that one. So it was it was definitely very complicated in the like aspect of the news and how everything was portrayed. But I, I would say like in the heat of it, it, it felt like a, a tennis match with just a little bit of flair, but it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly felt that Serena was really stereotyped and I wondered if a male player would have had the same backlash. And I wondered what your thoughts were on that. Oh, yeah, definitely. If a male player did that, it wouldn't have been so broadcasted. There's actually been male players that have done far worse, like literally last year and this year. um, And they don't get news reports at all. So I'm not sure if it's because Serena is Serena or um, people just wanted to write negative things. Um, But I I definitely felt like, you know, I can't say if we were both male players, like that outcome would have been the same way. But I do know that people are very interested in Serena and whatever she does is going to get news attention. And it was just unfortunate that it had to be that moment that caught a lot of people's interests. Yeah, it's a lot of distraction. In many ways. Um, Serena is one of the women, the people that you've cited as a role model. And the other one is Kobe Bryant. And I wanted to ask you, he was a mentor for you. And what were some of the things that you learned from your friendship with him? Um, I would say I learned a lot from him. I just learned a lot of like calming things. Um, and also I learned how hard he practices and how hard he works at everything that he does. So that was also extremely motivating. And I felt really pushed um, to do better. Mm. 
Has his guidance um, been helpful for you? I, I would say it was definitely helpful for me um, just to like be able to reach out and talk to him whenever I felt like there was a situation that um, I couldn't figure out the answer to. And just to have like that mentor role be filled by him was definitely a big honor for me. Yeah. He said something super profound to you about the media. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, think of the media and the press as gnats and you're the lion. So never get distracted. And you never see the lion trying to swat away the flies or anything like that. Yeah. And it's funny, I did the opposite thing that he told me to do. <laughs> well, the different things for different people, right? Yeah. I mean, that was a suggestion from someone. Yeah. But, you know, you do what you feel is right for you. That makes me feel better. <laughs> it's true, though. And, you know, I think we have to take people's guidance and apply it to our own lives and do what we can do at the time with the tools that we have, you know. You said that he gave you kind of insights or guidance on calming things. And I'm wondering kind of what that means. Oh, it's just like sometimes... I would just think about the things that he said and it would calm me down. Like, um, for example, I would talk to him about something that stresses me out or something like that. And he would just tell me, like, stress is a part of the human nature. And it's not necessarily that you're never not going to be stressed, but it's just a, a way of working through it and things like that. Oh, I'd like to know about that. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, how do you build resilience to be able to handle that? Um, for me, I would just say like experience through playing a lot of matches and just knowing that as a kid, this is where you want it to be, you know, like playing in front of a lot of people. And sometimes it is more stressful depending on the match, but at the same time, like, I don't know. It is also a privilege to be there because there are a bunch of other players that want to be where you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The last time we spoke, you had literally just withdrawn from the French Open and said that you were going to take some time to yourself, which I'm so happy and oh, I'm so happy that you got to do that. Um, but it was like a couple of days afterwards and I was wondering how hard it was for you to prioritize your well-being at that time. Yeah, it was definitely hard for me because I felt like it was very unconventional. Like, I didn't go to the French Open and plan to withdraw. It's just something that happened. Um, and I feel like, you know, for me, I felt judged by a lot of people. And it was a bit weird because... I'm used to people judging me for losing, but I feel like in the situation that I withdrew, I didn't win or lose, but it was still that feeling of judgment. I felt like it got a lot of media attention, which I wasn't quite used to that, to that scale. So it was a little bit scary, but I feel like once I got over that first hurdle, it was a bit easier to like think about what I wanted to do for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was like overnight you became the poster child for mental health advocacy. Yeah. When 
you hadn't signed up for that. <laughs> I'm assuming you had just said, I actually need to take care of myself here. And I hope you had the experience of forever for all the people that judged you. I hope you also felt the amount of people who were in support of you because it was also a very brave and courageous choice to choose yourself. Thank you. Yeah, um, there's been a, a bunch of really kind people that um, have told me how much it means to them. And for me, I felt like in that moment, I wasn't thinking about how um, my decision could affect other people as well. But I'm really glad that it had um, a positive reach. At them. I'm not sure. Yeah, the outcome. Yeah. Outcome. Yeah, it, it did. It affected a lot of people because not even to do with athletes or just just people in their lives who felt like they needed to say I need to hit pause I need to just put everything down for a minute here I think it gave a lot of people permission to honor themselves in a healthy way that's that's really nice to hear yeah very much so so what what does that self-care look like for you uh, I have a dog now, <laughs> so um, I don't know, just having him around makes me really happy. So I'd say self-care for me is just spending time with the people that I love and um, not feeling like I'm in a rush to do something because most of the time I feel like I'm either late to something or in a rush to go somewhere. So it's just nice to like sit down and not have a, a schedule. Mm. Did you get any support with therapy or any other things that were helpful for you when you took that time away to, to really support yourself? Um, so for me, I talked to a therapist and I also um, have an app that my physio recommended me that plays like calming music um, and like rainforest sounds or ocean noises mm -hmm. and for me, that's um, it's like really nice to fall asleep to, and it also calms me down a lot. Did you do you do any type of meditation, or does anything like that help you? Um, I do like to try meditation. Yeah. Um, for me, I don't really do yoga. I, I'd love to. Um, I've done hot yoga before, but I don't really have time to go to the studio much at, um, right now. But um, for me, I do like the aspect of like meditation, where you just sit down and. You don't, like, have your phone on you and things like that. Oh, yeah. Just 30 minutes without looking at a phone is, again, it's like not putting a distraction, not having to focus somewhere else. It's just being. Yeah. Which somehow we've all gotten so far away from doing. We're human doings and not human beings. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the media and how they have treated you. I grew up in the UK and I have a very difficult, contentious relationship with the tabloid media there from growing up and being a person who was on TV since I was a kid. You know, I, I read that your agent said something about how the media bullied you. And I also saw the press conference that you did at the Western and Southern Open. And I, again, I just felt so much compassion for you. I just wanted to like hug you. <laughs> I wanted to just hug you. Um, but I was wondering what that felt like for you, sitting behind that microphone, feeling so vulnerable, and being in that situation. How did you feel? I would say for me, like, 
I'm a bit of an introvert. People like to call me that. So um, it takes a lot for me to kind of speak up on things. And I, I would say like, you know, during a press conference, people can ask me whatever they want. And for me, I take pride in being honest and I always try to give 100% in my answers and I often have to like bring a lot of energy because, um, I don't know, I feel like, you know, that's what you deserve. Like people don't come to a press conference to hear boring answers. For me, if I see my favorite athlete doing a press conference, I want it to be interesting and like engaging and stuff like that. So after a while, like um, as I started doing better and um, getting, I guess, more news and more media on me, um, there just started to be like new reporters joining the press conferences that I didn't know, like I didn't grow up with them. So like the energy started to be off, like they would ask me questions to try to trap me into things that they could like write a big headline on and stuff like that. So I started feeling like I needed to protect myself more. And um, what I did, I wasn't trying to dig at the reporters that I know, like, because for me, I feel like I've built a very strong bond with some press people like Japanese press and some tennis journalists. Um, so I'm sorry if I unintentionally hurt them. That wasn't really my thing that I was going for. But it's it's tough for me. Like, I don't consider myself a kid. But it's it's hard to see like younger tennis players having to go through that experience that I've had to go through. And I honestly just wanted it to stop. Like I wanted journalists to have a bit more compassion, especially after we lose, to ask us really tough questions. So, For people who don't know, what are some of those questions that you're talking about? Um, honestly, it's like the same repetitive questions after we lose. How do you feel about the loss? What do you think you could have done better? How was your training before the match and things like that? And for me... It's like, how do you think I feel? <laughs> yeah, like, honestly, I I feel like we say the same things every time. But at the same time, you know, sometimes, depending on who we play, we would get a different, like, question. Like, say our opponent had a drama-filled match the other day, and then they would ask us questions about that as well. And for me, I grew up answering repetitive questions on my background and my heritage. And after a while, like, it's really tiring. Like, I feel like you can just Google me, you know? Oh, my God, I know. There is nothing I hate more than when people ask you questions and you're like, dude, there's Google. Yeah. This has been asked a million times. Like, don't be lazy. Yeah. So I, I feel like it could be prepared a bit more. Mm-hmm. But also, how about that you've just been through something emotionally and physically exerting and why should people have to be interviewed? Yeah, I mean... I get it's a tradition, like the media, of course, they help us out because they publicize the match and things like that. But I feel like in a relationship, it should be like give and take, give and take. So at a certain point, there has to be rules or guidelines that have to be um, followed. And it shouldn't be just the organization's rules. It should be varying based on how the player feels as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think that the sports media interacts with you differently than other types of media? Honestly, for me, I can only speak on tennis media. I would say up until what happened in the French Open, they weren't that cruel to me, which is something that I guess I can be proud of. I'm not sure what's going to happen when I come back on tour, but I've heard horror stories about sports journalists really picking on you and stuff like that. 
But I would say compared to like fashion magazines and things like that, that apparently people are really angry that I do. Um, I feel like for those things, I can talk about what I want to talk about. So it's it's really different in terms of like topics of discussion. Mm. I read somewhere that you said there's a lot of things that you have opinions on that you can't talk about because you're in the position that you're in. And did you say that? Um, I honestly, I might have said that and I might have said like a different version of that. But yeah, de- um, yeah, this something that I definitely feel on. Like sometimes I feel, especially now because of everything that I've went through this past year, I feel like I shouldn't really stir the pot anymore. I know. Of course, I was like, oh, I want to know what those things are because I just want to like ask you and know more about them. But I'm totally respecting your wish to not stir the pot on it. <laughs> so <laughs> when I'm not going to ask you that. However, you did in 2020. And I love that you did this. You wore Breonna Taylor mask on court. And I love that you did that. And did you think about did you think twice about that or was that just like I'm doing this um I mean yeah I definitely thought twice about it um just because I feel like tennis isn't the type of sport that you see that in if that makes sense like basketball it was very publicized but in tennis I would rarely see anyone else doing that um some of the other black tennis players would also wear like you know the shirts and things like that but I feel like if you're playing in Arthur Ashe Stadium, which is the largest tennis stadium in the world. Um, And if you have that opportunity to make your voice heard, um, that was definitely what I was going for. But it was also very scary to um, put on the mask and initially walk down the hallway by yourself, knowing that people are staring at you. Mm. Because let's not forget what happened to Colin Kaepernick. (laughs) I mean, what did that feel like? What did that feel like to put that mask on with Breonna Taylor's name on it and walk out? I can't really describe the feeling. It was a mixture between proud and strong, I would say. Like, I felt as though I wanted everyone to see it and I wanted to keep winning in order to wear more masks and um, make people know more information. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a feeling of empowerment. Yeah, that's probably the correct word. Have you been able to attend any rallies or protests? When most of the big protests were going on, um, I was able to go there. I went to the George Floyd one in um, Minnesota. It was a bit surreal to see everything happening with your own eyes instead of like through a TV. And I've honestly never gotten to go to any rallies because I'm always playing tennis and um, I feel like in that aspect that's why most of the protests were so big during the COVID time because everyone was at home and um, they wanted to do something to like join the cause or just be out there just to be out there. I completely agree. I also thought the same thing. With the experience of wearing that mask and going to the rally did that ignite anything in you that you felt like oh I want to do more of this there's more advocacy work that I can do because of this platform that I have um yeah I definitely felt like there was more that I could do honestly I I felt like when I was at the U.S. Open I was wondering if I could do more you know and just to hear people saying that 
what I've done was amazing and things like that. Um, it definitely, you know, made me feel like I was able to push my feelings across, but at the same time, I, I always wonder if I could do more. So it might tie back to that perfectionist thing. It could do. And it could be that there just there are more things that you feel passionately about doing in that space. And it could mean that you don't. And that's fine, too, because you already do a lot. Um, you talked about people being mad at you with doing fashion press, but you love fashion from what I can gather. It's something that you enjoy and why would you? Th why do you think people would be mad at you for doing anything involved with fashion? Um, this <laughs> is a funny story. Um, but basically, when right after I dropped out of the French Open, uh, a Vogue Japan cover was like the first thing of mine that came out because it was leading up into the Olympics. So all of the fashion um, magazines that I've done were just dropping. Uh, back to back because um you know I don't think they would have predicted what happened in the French Open so they just lined it up to be planned around the Olympics um so that timing was uh <laughs> a bit interesting but I think people thought that I literally came out of the French Open and just shot magazine covers because they're not in the business so they wouldn't know like you literally shoot it the year before or a couple yeah. months before. So that was definitely a bit interesting. And I, I feel like for me, it, it made me not care anymore about what people have to say. Like after that, I, I just deleted Twitter. I deleted Instagram. And I was like, you know what? These aren't real people. Like they know me, but I don't know them. So honestly, the opinion, it's on there, but it's not affecting me anymore. That sounds very freeing. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I mean, to to know that people that don't know us, why would their opinion of us matter so much? Yeah, I would say it definitely took some time to getting used to, but um, I feel like there's always more love than hate, and the love is something that should be focused on. Mm, that's true. Are you back on social media now? Um, honestly, not as much as I used to. Um, I only open Twitter when I have to post. And Instagram, I'm just on my Finsta. I guess they call it a Finsta. Oh, yeah. 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 That sounds really healthy. Really, <laughs> really healthy. Um, so talking about fashion, I've seen quite a few collaborations that you've done. Yeah. And... Um, one of them is a skincare line. And I wanted to talk to you about why you launched a skincare line called Kinlo and what it is about that skincare line that you love. Um, yeah, so I launched Kinlo with the help of a really great team, A-Frame. And we talked with, you know, dermatologists and a lot of doctors and I didn't know that formulating something would take so long and um, actually it made me feel better that there was doctors involved in the product because there's not like terrible chemicals going into it. Um, but yeah, I would say it was launched because for me, I feel like there's not a specific skincare or sun care brand directed at melanated people. And it kind of came... Which is crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, because honestly, I feel like we all think that 
we don't get sunburned or we can't get skin cancer, things like that, because we have melanin in our skin. And I went to Australia and I was thinking to myself, like, well, this sunscreen makes me really pale. So wouldn't it be nice to have like a skincare that actually matched your um, skin tone? So the awareness of wanting more melanated people to wear, you know, sunscreen because we do get burnt and we actually have a higher chance of getting um, skin cancer. Well, that was your impetus for, for starting it. Yeah, I would say that's the biggest push for it. Do you have all different skin shades? Like how many do you have? Um, we have the like this one universal color, but we're also coming out with a lighter and a darker tone later on. That's great. Are you enjoying doing these collaborations? Me, I, I enjoy it, yeah, because I feel like, you know, I grew up playing tennis. So there's so many fields that I don't have that much knowledge on. And it's just interesting to be able to interact with everyone that's like at the top of their field and just to have that privilege just by playing tennis to talk to these people that I know that, you know, some people are on the line um, trying to get in contact with them. It's, it's really cool for me. And because you're such a pro in one area, tennis, and yet in these other areas, you can learn and be a student. Yeah, I, I would say that's the most like, uh, that's the coolest moment for me, just to be able to feel like I'm learning something. Oh, it's such a nice feeling, isn't it? Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your role with the VS Collective, because we're so grateful to have you be a part of this collective. And I would love to know what you hope you're able to achieve by being being a part of this group of women. Me? Um, I think what I realized that I want to achieve is just Knowing that, you know, little kids can look at you and say, she looks like me or I want to be like her. And, and I feel like that's the biggest thing, like to push the next generation to have um, their dreams be as big as yours when you were a kid. Mm. Yeah, that's great to see different examples, right? To be able to be visible to so many women and girls around the world. Yeah. And for them to know that you exist and that they exist. Yeah, I would say that's probably the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. In your documentary, you ask a question about what the world would be without tennis. And I am curious who you would be without tennis. <laughs> well, I'm curious too. Um, What would I be without tennis? I don't know where I would be in the world, like what my job would be. But I would hope that I still have the same curiosity on everything. Like, I feel like for me, my curiosity drives a lot of my decisions, um, whether it be good or bad. Um, I feel like I'm constantly wanting to learn things. And I would hope that my personality stays the same. Um, yeah, maybe maybe be a bit more outspoken. That would be my hope for my alternate universe, me. I have a feeling that's going to happen over time. <laughs> a lot of people say that, actually. Like, um, they say that I've been getting better at talking about or speaking out more, I would say. Yeah. Well, I hope we do hear from you more about the things that you care about. But if you don't want to do that and you want to just keep playing tennis to the incredible level that you are, 
that's also, you know, what a gift to give people. Uh, I think maybe the speaking out will come more as you get more comfortable. I think so, too. I have a good feeling about that for you. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Thank you. Okay, have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> This is VS Voices, a brand new original podcast series by Victoria's Secret. Listen here or wherever you get your podcasts.